So I don't know what kind of picture you have in mind when you hear the word Jesus or the, think about the person of Jesus, but I think a lot of Christians, not just non-believers, but a lot of believers, when we think about Jesus, when we talk about Jesus, we tend to highlight the humanity of Jesus, how he is such a wonderful person. I think this happens a lot when you do evangelism, right? When someone is struggling in their lives, especially they feel isolated from society, they feel lonely. What we would say is, man, you have a friend in Jesus. Uh, Jesus is right next to you. He's near to you. He's loving. He's kind. He's compassionate. He's forgiving. Like, he knows your heart. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to highlight the fact that although everyone doesn't notice you, although everyone seems to not care about you, you have Jesus, this incredible human being, this incredible person who really loves you. I think we say this because when we read the gospel stories, really Jesus is this incredible, beautiful human being who cares about a lot of people. And that's why so many people are attracted to Jesus. So many people are following Jesus because this is the type of person that you want to be with. His character, his compassion is, is evident. You know, and so it's easy for us when we are communicating to others about Jesus or when we personally are thinking of Jesus, we tend to really focus on the human nature of Jesus, which, which is not wrong. It's not a bad thing. But we always have to remember that there is another side of Jesus. As Jesus is fully man, he is also fully God. Although we see the humanity of Jesus as he lived this life on earth, we also see the, the deity of Jesus. And it says in Colossians 2, 9, For in him, Jesus, the whole fullness of deity of God dwells bodily. So everything that God was and God is and God will be, it, it dwells in, in Jesus. Everything that you know about God, it's put into this person, Jesus. So Jesus is fully God and fully man. And that's what Luke 8 is all about. We said, after seeing the, 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 the miracle of Jesus calming the storm, the question that the disciples asked was such an important question because they asked, who is this man? Who is this person who even calms the winds and the waves? And so it's this, this question about power. Who is this guy who has such power over nature? And last week, we looked at the story where Jesus drived out, really, all these demons from this guy, one of the most messed up human beings that you're going to meet in the Bible, this demon-possessed man. And he's living under the forces of evil. And yet, when he meets Jesus, although he's living in this pagan city among pagan people, although he's living a life under oppression of the evil forces, the moment he meets Jesus, his life is completely transformed. And so what we learned was that although Jesus has ultimate power, he doesn't use that power to oppress us like Satan would do, like the evil forces would do, like people in authority would often do. Just although he has ultimate power and authority, he uses that power and authority to free us, to transform us, to make us new. And that's where we are in, in the story of, of, of Jesus, in the Gospel of Luke. We've seen that Jesus is able to calm every storm. We've seen that Jesus is able to to overcome any forces of evil, and today we're going to see that he's able to meet us in the most desperate hour of our lives. Uh, let's look at the passage together. We, we're going to see two women uh, who, who show up in this passage, and both are in a desperate situation. It says in verse 40 first, Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. 
So this man is a religious leader. He's also well-known in the area. He's in charge of taking care of the synagogue, so people know about him. He's well-known. He's well-respected by others. He's devoted to God. Um, most likely, he's doing this voluntarily, um, um, and that kind of shows you his, his character, how, how he cares about others and cares about God. Uh, he's a man of authority and standing, and yet what we see is that he's falling at the, at the feet of Jesus because he's desperate as a father. It says, as he is falling at the feet of Jesus, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And so we see that this urgent situation leads to this man to be desperate for Jesus. And do notice that this man has a little bit of faith, that you kind of see that that. At the same, as he understands the urgent situation, he also understands that Jesus is able to do something about this situation. So he comes to Jesus, he approaches Jesus, he invites Jesus. In Mark 5, actually, he says to Jesus, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that you, she may be made well and live. So he has trust in Jesus. He firmly believes that if Jesus shows up, that her, his daughter will live. And so we see in verse 42, Jesus went and the people pressed on him. But here's when things get really funky. Um, As Jesus is going after this little girl, trying to heal this little girl who's dying, literally dying because of the sickness. It says in verse 43, there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Though through she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. So the little girl was alive for 12 years, and for that entire span, this woman lived in suffering, in pain, with this disease. We're not sure what exactly this is, but it's a discharge of blood, and and what we do see is that she tried to do something about it. She went to every physician. She spent her life savings on on, on hospital bills, on on medicine to get better. She's trying everything in her power to solve this this problem that she's been struggling for 12 years. And in Mark, it says she suffered under many doctors and spent all her money. And the devastating part of this story is that her her condition is not improving. It's getting worse. And we also know that um, the bleeding issue, that's actually something that's connected to the Old Testament law. If you have a bleeding issue, you are considered unclean. And so for 12 years, she was considered unclean. For 12 years, she was isolated from people, from society, most likely family. So she is living in isolation, under suffering with this disease that she doesn't know how she can be, get even be healed. And so she lost her health. She lost her wealth. She lost her family. And she is at the point where, where really she wants to give up. I mean, if you lose everything and you've been suffering for so many years, this is the point where you're like, man, God, I'm, just, I'm done with this. Like, I just want to end it all. And yet, we see that she hears about Jesus. And in Mark 5, 28, it says that she says, if I touch even his garment, Jesus' garment, I will be made well. So that's her motivation. Again, she has some level of faith, and that faith drives her to Jesus. She firmly believes that if she simply touches the garment of Jesus, that she will be made well. And so she comes to Jesus. It says in verse 44 of today's passage, she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately, immediately her discharge of blood ceased. 
12 years of pain, 12 years of suffering, 12 years of frustration, immediately gone away with a single touch from Jesus. And, and this is the first thing that we learn about Jesus in today's story. It's that Jesus, who has ultimate power, is able to heal you. Jesus, who has ultimate power, is able to heal you. Now, I know for some of us, when we pray for people who are dealing with illness, sickness, like we're kind of hesitant to pray for them, really, uh, because we don't want to give them false hope or the false idea. So if you've been in church long enough and you experience that, okay, I guess not every prayer for healing works or every prayer for healing gets answered, you kind of pray your prayer like this. God, we just, we just ask for your will to be done. We just ask that. You, you know better what the situation is like. God, like, we, we pray that you would take control over this situation. We pray that you would do something. But at the end of the day, what you want is what we want. Uh, like, just like Jesus prayed. Like, not my will, but your will be done. And we'll pray a prayer kind of like that. We'll be scared to pray for healing upon this person. And I, I remember a pastor one time, he was sharing how, you know, people in his congregation, he had cancer, and, 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 and he, people in the congregation would pray for him in such a way, and he would, in the middle of the prayer, he would just grab a brother, grab a sister, and say, you know, I, I love you, I appreciate you, I thank you for being here with me and praying for me, but can you please pray that God will heal me? <laughs> can you please pray that, that God will make me better? Because I have three daughters at home, I have my wife, like, I'm still young, like, I, and at the end of the day, I, I want, obviously, God's will will be done. But in the midst of all that, I, I do want to be healed. And, and this, is, this is, I think, how we ought to pray. Yes, at the end of the day, God knows what's best for us. At the same time, we do know that we have a Savior who has power over sickness, over diseases, that we know that we have a Father who's able to heal us in the midst of desperate situations. And if you have a father who is able, and if you have a father who is willing and who is powerful enough, why wouldn't you pray? Right? You would ask for prayer. You confidently pray. You pray that people will be healed in Jesus' name for God's glory. That you would ask that his power be displayed in such a way that this would be an incredible testimony for people to see the power and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus heals people should give us confidence in our prayers for others. It should allow us to pray boldly because of what Jesus has done and will do. But here's the question that I know is, is in a lot of our minds. But, but what if God doesn't heal a person, right? What if the outcome is not what is expected? Now, just keep that question in your mind. Let's kind of move a little bit fur- further and see how, if we can answer that question. Um, but here's what's really interesting. So the woman is already healed. Uh, her bleeding has stopped. But at this point, you know, she can just go away live her life, enjoy all the things that she never was able to do in the past 12 years. But look at verse 45. This is so interesting. It says, and Jesus said, who was it that touched me? Like, I didn't know Jesus was so sensitive when it comes to touching, right? Like, okay, I guess he's not really like a touchy person, not a hug guy. Like, like he, I guess he's like, okay, no purpling kind of deal, right? No, like keep your distance with the opposite gender. But, and so he says, who 
was it that touched me? And when all denied it, like, you can kind of imagine all the disciples like, did you touch him? Did you touch him? And then Peter finally stands up and says, Master, like, come on. The crowd surrounds you. Like, everyone is touching you. Like, everyone is pressing on you. Like, what do you mean when you say, like, who touched me? Like, literally, you're in the midst of this big crowd. And Jesus says in verse 46, someone touched me for I perceive that power has gone out from me. So you learn two things. Number one, it's the power of Jesus that healed this woman. Right? It's, it's the power of Jesus that went out from Jesus to, to overcome this sickness in this woman. It's the power of Jesus. But the second thing that you learn is this. A lot of people were touching Jesus on that day. A lot of people were coming in touch, in contact with Jesus. But there was only one woman who touched him in faith. That's the difference. When Jesus said, who touched me? He's not asking who's physically touching me. He's looking for that one person who reached out their hand to touch Jesus in faith. And so he says, a lot of people were touching me, but there's only one woman who touched me in faith. Who is that woman? Who is this person? So Jesus stops in the middle of this situation. He makes a public scene. He's busy at this point. He needs to get to this little girl, and yet yet he stops, and he makes a scene. And so everyone, their eyes are on this one woman. She finally confesses that it was her. And you might think, man, why does Jesus put this woman on the spot? But this in itself is an act of grace. And I think it's because of this. And here's the second point I want to make. Jesus, who has ultimate power, wants you to have a relationship with him. Jesus, who has ultimate power, wants you to have a relationship with him. So Jesus, he... he, he changes the, 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 moment, the, the story. Uh, what he's doing is that he's not just going to be a miracle maker at this point, but he wants this woman to know that he cares more about her than she can ever imagine, that, that he cares about her, not just her disease, but she, he cares about her. Because this woman, her plan was this. I'm going to sneak up to Jesus, touch his garment, and leave. Like, mission accomplished. And that's exactly what she was trying to do. Jesus was no more than a miracle maker to her. And Jesus, as, as, as this woman is trying to get away from the crowd, and she's going back to her normal life, Jesus stops her and says, no. And it says in verse 48, after this woman confessed all that happened, why she was there, and how Jesus healed her, it says in verse 48, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Number one, this is the only time in... In, in the Bible, where Jesus addresses a woman as a daughter in such a way. Like, this is a, a word that, that shows you intimacy, a relationship, a closeness, a bond. We see that the word made you well is actually the Greek word sozo, which sometimes is translated as saved. So what Jesus wants this woman to know is that I'm not just going to heal you of the diseases. Because you touched me in faith, your life is completely different now. You, you, you have this relationship with me now that, that, that I want to in, be involved in your life in a personal level, that I want to care for you. You can now go in peace. Shalom. So isn't that amazing about Jesus? Like when we are all about what do we need in our life, all the things, the problems, that, and when we pray, we're concerned about getting things done. Jesus says, no, it's not just about the stuff. I can give you the stuff that you want, but I want you. 
I want, I want you to know that I'm available to have a relationship with you, that I love you, I care for you. So not only did Jesus heal this woman and, and save her from her pain and suffering and uncleanness, but we see that Jesus was willing to establish a relationship with this woman and give her ultimate peace. So Jesus, he, he has ultimate power and he's able to heal you. Jesus has ultimate power and he wants you to have a relationship with him. And so the question becomes now again, does every touch of faith lead to healing? Does every prayer of faith, does it lead to healing? And sadly, the answer is no. Not every prayer of faith leads to healing. And we see this through the life of, of Paul. And I, I kind of dip into this because I think sometimes when it comes to praying for healing, we have kind of a misunderstanding when it comes to how do we ought to pray or what we should expect. I think we should expect healing every time we pray because we know that God is able. And notice in, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul, he's in a situation where it says in verse 7, so he, 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 he kept praying for this, this thorn that was in his flesh. Um, it says that in verse uh, 7 that the messenger uh, from Satan was harassing him, and it was keeping him from being conceited. And so Paul says three times, I pray for healing, and it's a thorn in the flesh. He's talking about a physical problem that he's struggling with, and three times God said no. Three times he was rejected when he asked for healing. And you might say, well, did Paul have not enough faith? No, he had a lot of faith. Like, I mean, when it comes to faith, I mean, who can, who, who, who can, who can, who can compare to him? Like, he had incredible faith, and with faith, he prayed for healing. And yet, what we see is that God did not answer his prayers. But here's what's so amazing. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8. Three times I plead with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Did you get that? My power, not my grace, my power is made perfect in weakness. Now we think if God doesn't answer our prayers for healing, that his power is not being displayed. And yet what Paul says is, yes, even in the midst of unanswered prayers for healing, God's grace is sufficient and his power is made known. How? There, he says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, I'm amazed when healing takes place, when people are able to pray for people and they get better, but the problem is that somewhere down the line, you are going to get sick again. Somewhere down the line, you're going to struggle with sickness again. And, and so, it's a temporary solution, really. Um, uh, you're kind of just extending some time, but the reality is we all deal with sickness. But what really amazes me is when people are living in sickness and they're praying faithfully, and God is not answering their prayers. God is not healing them, and yet they're able to stay faithful to the Lord. And yet, for some reason, although their body is broken, their spirit is renewed, and they can declare that although my outer body is wasting away, my spirit is being renewed day by day. You know why that's such a powerful picture of God's power? It shows us that, that there is something in this world that is stronger than death. There's something in this world that when you think of how this person is acting in the midst of their sickness, like there's no other way to explain this other than the power of God. So Jesus displays his power sometimes by healing us 
and sometimes by empowering us in the midst of our suffering and sickness. So we see that he has power over the storms. We see that he has power over sickness and, and demonic forces. And now we come to the place where we're going to see that he actually has power over death. And that's good news. It says in, in verse 49, while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is, is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. So as Jesus is having this amazing conversation with this woman who just been healed from her diseases after suffering for 12 years, Jairus is just on the, in this corner, and he's seeing all that's going on. He's like, he's looking at the clock. He's wondering what's going on. And then, and, and then the worst possible scenario actually happens, that the daughter dies. And, and just imagine Jairus in this moment. Like, imagine you rush your daughter to the emergency room. And, and you know that she's in a critical condition. You know that the doctors know that she's in a critical condition. And yet the doctor decides, instead of coming straight to your daughter, spend some time with a person who has maybe a chronic situation. Like, yeah, it's a bad situation, but we don't, we're not sure if this woman was a life and death situation. Like, can't you kind of prioritize Jesus? Can't you kind of heal someone who's in a critical situation, dying literally right now, and then come back to this woman? You have enough time. So the question that's going through his mind is, is God, why? And, and just think about the comparison that's taking place. Like this woman is rejoicing, and yet he's so torn and broken in, inside because he's so disappointed at Jesus. And it's his one and only daughter, his princess. And so people are telling Jairus, hey, don't even bother. It says in verse 50, Jesus, on hearing all this, answered, do not fear, only believe, and and she will be well, then says verse 51, and when he came to the house, he allowed no one else to enter with him except Peter, John, James, and, and the father and the mother of, of the child. And even at the house, all this wailing, this crying is taking place in verse 52. And yet, in the midst of all that, Jesus says, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And the people there, they just lose it. It says that, in verse 53, they laughed at him. Like, this guy's crazy. This guy just walked into a funeral home. Uh, literally, like, this, this, this child is still there, dead. And he has the audacity in the presence of the family to say that this child is just sleeping. It's no big deal. Like, don't worry. Who does that? Right? Like... I, every time I go to a funeral home, every time I have to deal with people who just had a loss, like, like you're making sure that you're not wasting one word. You'd rather just be silent and say anything that's inappropriate because you know how hurtful that, those words can be. And yet, it seems like Jesus is so insensitive at this point. It seems like Jesus, he, he's just saying whatever he wants to say. Like, this, this child who's dead, is, no, she's sleeping. You just have to wake her up, and people are losing it. They're laughing at, at him, and yet it says in verse 54, by taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, little girl, arise. And it says in verse 55, and her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. Who does this? Who can speak in this moment of death, such 
profound words, only the person who knows they're going to defeat death can speak to death like this. Jesus looks death straight in the eye, and he says these things because, because he knows he has power, authority over death. He knows that he's, in a moment he's going to destroy it. And so he says, little child, awake. And so the greatest problem that we're ever going to face in our lives, and it's the problem of death. Um, you know, in the most devastating situation, I thought about this a lot. And because it's hard enough when someone is sick, and it's, it's another thing that you're getting treatment, and, and you're not getting any better, and you're getting worse. I think the worst case scenario is that you are sick, and you, you didn't even have a shot to get cured. You didn't have the chance to get treatment. Because imagine the guilt and the shame that's placed on the family. Right? They're thinking, man, if I was just a little bit quicker, if I just made a different decision, if I just got this medicine to this person, like, things would have been different. Like Jairusin is the worst case scenario, the most, most devastating situation in his life. He just lost his one and only little girl, and yet Jesus is able to restore her. And so Jesus, who has ultimate power over sickness, he wants a relationship with us. The third thing that we have to remember is that he has power over death. Jesus has ultimate power over death. He leads to uh, a resurrection. He allows this, this, this little girl to experience something that is out of this world. And so she is made alive. She is renewed. She is restored. Resurrection power comes into her life, and everything is, is changed and different. And so sometimes we feel like God is off in his timing. Sometimes we feel like God is off in his ways. But we have to remember that God is a gentle God, a caring, loving God who is powerful yet so compassionate that he works in our lives in such a way that he restores us and renews us. That he's able to say these words in such an incredible way. And here's the thing. I think we often tend to put ourselves in in, in Jairus' shoes in this place. But the Bible reminds us that every single one of us, we're actually in the condition of this little girl, that we're actually dying, that death is a reality for every single one of us. It's just a matter of when. And, and as we are dying, as we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, and we feel like God is just taking his sweet time, one thing that should give us peace and confidence and hope is this, in the same way, that Jesus whispered into this, this, this girl's ear, little child, like, wake up. In the same way, when we face death, we have to remember that death for believers is nothing more than a nap, that we will be with our Lord and Savior for eternity. And that's, that's great news. And I think about this, and, you know, these days I'm, I always said when people ask, hey, do you feel a strong connection with uh, Timothy or Irene? I always say Timothy because, you know, I live with him a little bit longer and, and he's able to respond a little bit better. And Irene is just, you know, two and a half, going to three years old. And, but these, these last couple of days have been really, really sweet. I don't know why. Maybe it's because of this passage, but it's been really, really sweet. Like she actually wants to, uh, I, she wants to do things with me, right? Every time she wants to do stuff with mommy and, and like, she actually wants to do something with me and, and so, and she wants me to put her in bed and, and, and sleep next to her and, and until she falls asleep and, and, and wash her and all that. And I'm like, 
man, this is what it's like to be uh, like crazy about your daughter. Like, she, like she, she and I'm, I'm saying like she's a daddy girl. I ask questions like, hey, who's a better cook, mommy or daddy? And she's like, daddy. Right? Who's <laughs> and, and 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 like I, I just love it. Um, and like yesterday, because uh, for some reason we were talking about marriage, and and I asked Irene, and because I, I I asked her like Irene. Who, who, like, if you have a chance to marry someone later on, who do you want to marry? And guess what she said? Daddy. That's like, that, that's a perfect scenario. I was like, oh, man, that's awesome, but I can't marry you. But, like, marry, like hey, marry someone like daddy. Like, someone who would treat you like daddy, someone who would love you like daddy. Like, someone who would really care for you in a, in a, in a way. I asked the same question to Timothy. Hey, who do you want to, who, who do you want to uh, marry if you have a chance later on? And he goes through the list of all his friends, and it's like, it's like man, that's the difference between guys and girls. Like, other than guys smelling a bit more, like, you know, girls are just like, man, they cling onto their daddy. And, 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 and how, how much joy would have exist in this family, right, when the little girl were restored? But here's this. Your relationship with the father is stronger than that. You're a child of God. Son and daughter of God. And, and, and Jesus says in today's passage that I love you, I care for you, and I'm not going to let death have the last word on you if you are in me. So you don't have to be afraid, only believe. And I think that's really the application. It says in verse 36, in the midst of all this, to Jairus, he says, do not fear, but only believe. Only believe. And it says in 2 Corinthians 13, 4, for he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Jesus has ultimate power, and he uses that power not to abuse you or oppress you, but to heal you, to restore you, to free you, and to give you assurance that you can trust him. So I don't care what kind of situation you're in, because he is stronger than the storm. I don't care how messy your life has been because he is stronger than any demonic forces. I don't care what kind of sickness you're dealing with, maybe physically or mentally, because Jesus is stronger than all sickness. And maybe you are worried about death, but the word that we were given today is that we have a Savior who is powerful, and he uses that power to free us from all our enemies, and he wants to have a relationship with you. Would you trust him today? Would you give your life to him today? Let's follow him with confidence, worshiping him for who he is. Amen? Let's pray.